0: Could you turn your Bibles to First Corinthians 1. If uh, you don't have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to grab one under the chair in front of you, or one of the chairs in front of you. You can find 1 Corinthians 1 on page 9:24. We're in a four-week miniseries between our vision campaign and the season of Advent. Last Sunday um, was the gospel and politics. The next two Sundays will be the gospel and race relations, and uh, this morning, because we're focusing on Orphan Sunday, uh, we are talking about the gospel and the week. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, listen carefully. These are God's words, starting in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, as you spoke through the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth 2,000 years ago, I pray that you would speak a similar powerful truth-based Word to us today. Speak, O Lord, for Your servants are listening. Amen. Have you ever heard of Who's Who in America? It is uh, a massive publication, typically only in hardcover, um, that lists all kinds of prominent personalities that have achieved something significant in every conceivable field. The publisher would want you to look up to, to envy, to desire to be among these people in this publication who are somebody in this world. There's no sister publication called Nobodies in America, Uh, People Who Have Done Not a Darn Thing and Will Not Amount to Anybody. Uh, We would call that Who Cares in America. But whether or not you care about being in a kind of publication like that, being Uh, recognized by your peers or gawked at by uh, other folks, one of the common areas, uh, one of the common idols in this area of the country is the longing, sometimes the desperation to become a somebody, to rise to the top of your class, of your team, of your company, to be noticed for physical beauty, for creativity, for fashion, for your intelligence. There's a desire, sometimes a desperation, to be respected and needed and admired. And at the same time, the reality in the metro New York area that attracts all kinds of world changers is that there are a lot of people who have accomplished a lot of great things, who have made a lot of money who have gone to some of the best schools in the world, who have made an impact, a lasting impact in their field or in their industry. Um, You don't have to be wealthy by Bergen County standards. You simply, by virtue of living in this area, are likely in or close to the top 1% of worldwide wealth and success and self-reliance. We have access to all kinds of technology and excellent health care. And that leads a lot of people to believe that I am somebody. Um, I am managing life just fine. I'm not needing to depend on anyone else, at least uh, not to a large extent. But that's precisely why Jesus said to His disciples in Matthew chapter 19, Truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The more comfortable you are, the more accomplished you've become, the higher you've climbed, the bigger it is, the the bigger the challenge is to understand spiritually that you fit into Paul's description of every believer in Jesus Christ, that in sin, you're foolish, weak, lowly, despised, nothing. A lot of folks, especially moderns, contemporary folks, uh, maybe especially in the metro New York area, don't like that kind of language because um, it it puts you down. Why does the Bible have to be so negative? But um, the reality is in sin in relation to a holy and perfect God, you and I are all those things, lowly, weak, insignificant, foolish. We choose death instead of life. Those words paint a stark and ugly picture, yet in the same passage. Here are gospel words, verse 27, but God chose you not because you're worthy, not because you're a somebody, because you've accomplished all these things, but in spite of the fact that spiritually speaking, in your sin, you're a nobody. That's pure gospel grace. In a July 2012 uh, article in the Harvard Business Review, Columbia professor Tomas Chamorro-Pramuzic, I get an E for effort on that name, uh, he says it's a myth that high self-confidence is a key to success. That got my attention. I kept reading. Uh, He claims that the key to success is actually lower self-confidence. The less confident person is more likely to receive constructive criticism and to be self-critical him or herself. But the more highly confident you are, you think you're always right. You tend to dismiss other people's feedback. They're wrong. They don't get it. You minimize or deny your own weaknesses. You look in the mirror and you see something um, better, more accomplished, more savvy, more kind and merciful than you really are. And that pattern is uh, a, a pattern that's especially susceptible here in the metro New York area, and that pattern has all kinds of major spiritual implications. So, Jesus says at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who, are, who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. I have nothing to offer God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And James, the apostle, writes in his letter, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. And Paul warns in Romans chapter 12, words that we all need to hear and remind ourselves of when we look in the mirror, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's our tendency, to think we're somebody, to be highly self-confident, which causes us to turn our ears away from the feedback, the loving, constructive feedback that would make us a better person. Why are these truths laid out in the New Testament? Because on your own, in your sin, you're a nobody. That outweighs anything you've accomplished in life that would get you into who's who in America. And when you come to that kind of realization, only then, with empty hands, can you receive the gift of faith, God's offer of free grace in the gospel, which is powerful not just to make you a somebody, but to adopt you into God's forever family as a son or a daughter. That leads us, secondly, to the pattern of salvation. This isn't a new thought that first shows up in the New Testament writings. If we go way back, for example, in Genesis uh, chapters 11 and 12 to Abraham, he was a pagan shepherd in a foreign land when God called him, out of that land to travel to Canaan, which was to become the promised land. And to this nobody, spiritually speaking, he was worshiping false gods, to this nobody, God graciously made some amazing promises, including the promise to make him the father of a great nation. And later on, when that promise had become the nation of Israel, she's about to enter that promised land after 400 years of slavery and 40 more years of wandering in the desert. Moses says to the people in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 to 8, "'The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you, because you were more numerous than other peoples,' a somebody. "'For you were the fewest of all peoples,' a nobody. "'But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your ancestors,' like Abraham, "'that He brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery.'" from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Even after the nation of Israel was formed from a nobody named uh, Abraham, she remained a nobody compared to the greatness of the nations around her. Insignificance. No matter. Because her status was given to her by God Himself, pure grace, not because of her worthiness, but in spite of her weak, lowly, insignificant, look down upon 1 Corinthians 1 kind of status. Throughout the Old Testament, when the Lord commands His people to care for the quartet of the vulnerable, the alien, today uh, the immigrant, the poor, the widow, and the orphan, or, or the fatherless as the Scripture puts it, throughout the Old Testament, when God commands His people to care for those vulnerable categories of people, one of the main reasons God gives is rooted in Israel's history. So, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners. Why, God? for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. You're to love the immigrant. This aptly works in America because your people were all immigrants. You're to love the alien living in your country, God says, because you used to be an alien living in a foreign land called Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 24 um, repeats that and, and emphasizes that. Verse 17, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Three out of the four quartet there. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. In other words, don't forget your roots, people. Don't forget that that used to be you, and why is it no longer you? Because of the grace of salvation that alone has changed your status from nobody to somebody, and even richer than somebody to my child. So, when the, uh, when the prophet Isaiah begins his public ministry and begins to speak to God's people on behalf of God Himself and condemns the people for their wrongdoing, for their rebellion, for their faithlessness, included in his, in his initial indictment is this statement, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, "'Learn to do right, seek justice.'" defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. By the time we get to the New Testament, nothing has changed. James, we already quoted James, we'll we'll look to James again. James says, um, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's core to his definition of religion that God our Father accepts. Of all the things he could have gone to, he goes to care for orphans and widows. Why should we care for orphans, for example, in this text? If we use the same logic as why we should care for aliens, immigrants, because you used to be one of them in that foreign land of Egypt. Why should we care for orphans? The Bible would answer if we put all these pieces together, because you used to be an orphan yourself. Don't forget your roots. The only reason you're no longer an orphan is because the grace of salvation that God has poured out upon you to change you from a nobody into a somebody. Paul in Galatians chapter 4 uses this imagery to point to the heart of salvation. Galatians 4.4, 4, But when the time, the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. For what purpose? That we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. Adoption as sons and daughters means that we needed to be adopted. (laughs) If this is a benefit, a blessing, a privilege given to us at the heart of salvation, it means we were not sons and daughters before we were adopted. What were we? We were orphans, Jesus said in the Gospels, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Adoption is not an add-on bonus kind of privilege that God thinks of after the fact, after He provides salvation. Adoption is at the heart of salvation. To move from enemy to friend is not the gospel. It's a half gospel, which is no gospel at all. God's love for sinners who trust in Jesus Christ, who stand upon His perfect obedient life and His perfect substitute death and His victorious resurrection, God provides to sinners who trust in Jesus the adoptive grace that makes, changes us from orphans now to sons and daughters who are promised belonging in His forever family that we might call Him truly Abba. Father, Daddy, Pops. Lastly, the call to compassion. Why should you care for orphans? I hope we answered that already. But once again, because apart from Christ, that's what you and I would be. And without uh, that adoptive gospel grace, you and I would be without real and secure love we would be without any sense of belonging. We would be without the watchful and loving eye of a Father in heaven. I- ironically, here's the common practice and pattern of a follower of Jesus Christ. To place your faith in Jesus and to be, de- de- to be declared a son or a daughter, but meanwhile to continue to act like an orphan. That's a common experience of a follower of Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel says son or daughter. The truth about everyday life, insecurities, fears, worries. The truth is I act like an orphan. I act like I need status from other people. So we, uh, you believe the lies of the evil one, and you listen too keenly to the voices of everyone else around you. Your identity, therefore, comes from those around you, whether they build you up or tear you down. And you keep hear, listening for more, wanting to hear more, desperately desiring to, to form your status as a somebody. But the gospel doesn't um, call us to forget orphanhood. The, the solution is not to simply say, I am a son or daughter, that, uh, that reality has nothing to do with me. It is in the past, but the gospel calls us to remember that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from a faith, a saving faith that gives me access to all of this family privilege, that I would still be an orphan. The gospel calls us to remember what we formerly were so that we can revel all the more in what we are today, son or daughter. Remembering orphanhood is an incredibly important weapon against the ongoing influence of sin. We need to remember the status that our sins actually deserve to be declared a nobody, to be put apart from God's grace, to be treated as an enemy, not as a friend, let alone our son or daughter. We need to remember that that's the status we deserve, orphanhood, but then revel in the new status that God has provided, son or daughter, a place at the table, in the family, access to the Father's lap, if you will, in prayer. This verse is rich, I once was lost but now am found, was blind but now I see. What would be less rich is to say, I'm not lost, I can see. Because the contrast is what uh, provides technicolor detail. Right, for the person who spent time in prison, or has been enslaved, freedom has such a more vivid taste to it, a a vivid color to it. There's so much more of a an appreciation of what it means to be able to walk about as I please, if one has been formerly imprisoned and enslaved, and spiritually speaking. That is as true of us in the past, apart from faith, as is the, the label orphan. You were enslaved to sin, but in Christ, you've been set free. You were an orphan without hope, but in Christ, you're now declared son or daughter. And if we remember the spiritual orphanhood that characterizes every last one of us, And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible would would say you're living as an orphan. You're living in rejection of the Father who would desire to love you with a perfect love and come to Him by faith in Jesus Christ. But if as a church we're saying it's our calling uh, to remember our orphanhood, shouldn't it drive us to have compassion for those who will remain orphans? there's a missional component, there's an evangelism component, because what transferred me from nobody to somebody, nothing I deserved, n- nothing I accomplished, nothing I um, merited, the pure gift of grace. And and um, what, what provided you with parents to raise you in a stable home, nothing you deserved, uh, nothing you did to earn that status, it was a gift of grace. If we remember the orphanhood, that formerly characterized uh, us spiritually, should it not drive us to have compassion on the plight of the fatherless, the parentless, the widow, uh, the the orphan? And by the way, uh, I've shared this in September during our grace story. Uh, One of the things I've learned from Karen, from Refuge 686, from reading others on this topic is that um, we tend to think of orphan too narrowly, an orphan is not merely a person who no longer has their biological parents alive. That's true. But uh, we use orphan, the term orphan, the way um, many uh, ministries and nonprofits use orphan to, to talk about um, children who are parentless, perhaps temporarily, unable to live in uh, their biological parents' home, or perhaps they, they have lost one of their biological parents to death. Um, all of those situations and, and every mix of, of circumstance, we refer to these kids who are in a, a tr- under a, a trial um, and um, w- in the midst of all kinds of instability as orphans that, biblically speaking, we have a calling to care for and to demonstrate compassion for. Um, as we overflow gospel grace as we say that gospel grace has at its root the spiritual reality of adoption. We have an opportunity to demonstrate to parentless children that there is one who loves perfectly, that there is one who desires for them to belong in his family forever, whose love is not conditional. How compelling of a calling is that, especially when All of the children that would fall under the category of orphan so likely only experience conditional love, if any love at all. How compelling is that call, especially when these children experience very little sense of belonging, given the instability of what's going on in the nuclear family and the temporary nature of foster care, bouncing them from one home to another, of all groups. Of all organizations, of of any segment in society, it must be the church of Jesus Christ. Sinners transformed from the uh, the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. Sinners who have been transformed from the status of nobody into the status of not only somebody, but a special somebody called son or daughter, the place in the forever family of God. Of all organizations, nonprofits, uh, any segment of society, it must be the church that overflows this gospel grace that says, I know what it's like to be an orphan, spiritually speaking. And the Scripture calls me to remember that and then to overflow grace that God has given me, which is the only reason I'm no longer an orphan. What can you do? Refuge 686 is our dedicated ministry towards this end. What you can do is Uh, continue to or begin to pay extra attention to this ministry. It's not a side ministry. It's at the heart of the gospel. What you can do is get on uh, Karen's email list, and she'll share with you special things that are going on, and she will invite you to participate in these ministry events. What you can do is, uh, if you have that card that we stuffed uh, last Sunday, um, or your email, the Voice of Grace on Thursday, uh, start looking around at stuff that uh, you could donate, to the foster care supply closet. I think that's going on for a couple more weeks. Uh, what you can do is stay for Ace in the 10 o'clock hour or grab a 20-day prayer calendar that will take us. There's 20 days between now and Advent, believe it or not, and participate with your children who heard in the children's message to pray continually, to lift up these children and their families and to pray for yourself asking God to show you how, especially if you're a follower of Christ and an ex-orphan, how you are called to give of His love to those who lack it. And then, if you're a follower of Christ, to revel in the reality that you were formerly an orphan, but God in Christ has called you son or daughter. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, May we never forget who we would be apart from you, Lord Jesus. Help us to remember not to stay there, not to act as if that truth, that label is still the truth about us, for it is not. That's a lie of the evil one. But let us remember, Lord, that we might be driven to deeper compassion for those who are still orphans spiritually and need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those who are orphans in this world and who need to know that there is one who loves perfectly and desires to draw them to himself. It is you, Lord God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.